Hello and welcome to Write Sweats, the podcast for fan fiction, friend fiction, and fun fiction. My name is Jen, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-hosts Jesse and Leah. Hey! Hi. All right, you guys, welcome back. Oh, we have finally <laughs> made it We've to made the it. end of March. The mountain has been summited. Not yet. We still got one more peak That's to go. Right. We're almost yeah. to the summit, pre-summit. This episode, and- we'll find out who the final winner is of our film to our book to film adaptions. Uh-huh. Who will be the sweaty success story? Who will ascend to the top of the Martin Ma- Mountains of Madness? Who will join the? Be the first inductee. First industry, yeah, inductee to the Right Sweats Hall of Fame. Um, it's nothing but glory and wonder for the winner of this tournament. One of the most coveted positions. Yeah. In all of cinema, truly. All of cinema, all of writing. That's right. It's like an Oscar, it's like a Peabody, it's like a Nobel rolled up into one. Who will either, be in our... I would say either way, whatever they achieved in their lifetime, either J.R.R. Tolkien or Jane Austen, is really going to ascend to the next level of success after we decide which of the, one of them is the winner. This is really the feather in their cap. You know, finally <laughs> justifies their entire career. You know? Three people who know nothing about writing, who Two know people. nothing about movies. Two books. Two movies. Yep. One winner. Whoever wins, we lose, but we win. <laughs> <laughs> so... Before we get into that, we've kind of danced around the subject a little bit this whole month, but what do we think actually makes a successful adaptation of a you know from a book to a movie? What what does it really take to make that a an entertaining and successful jump? Yeah. Well, Jesse, what do you think? Uh I think that is a good question. Um, I think... <laughs> okay, I like that. That's one of the most... Wow! Like, hmm, good question. Okay. <laughs> well, I think it depends on what you want. Uh, I think the way Leah just phrased it, what she said, what she said, is it entertaining and good? And successful. And successful. Those can all mean different things to me. But for me, what makes a good adaptation is something that can... And this sounds silly, but it can sort of stand on its own. Um, and I don't mean that you need to know, you don't need to know it was a book. You don't need to read it. I think those, bringing those texts in is very important, but I think it's a, a movie that realizes that it can't be the book. So it has to somehow find a way to capture the feelings of the book without being a book. Cause it's inherently not a book. It's a visual medium. It's not a reading medium or whatever. You yeah, call it. I can, I'm total, I can get behind that 100% because for me, a good adaption is something that embraces the fact that it's a film and utilizes that kind of media to tell the story in a different way while getting across the same mood and intentions. Yeah. So that means that, you know, there's a lot of times an adaptation that's just one-to-one book to movie. I'm not going to like all that much. I mean, I, I obviously I can But that doesn't work in every situation. So you can't just say the one that's most faithful. Because Mm -hmm. also, especially in this day and age, a lot of movies are based on pretty shitty books. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because they're popular or some... Or they're easy to adapt. Yeah. Or they're easy to franchise. Well, we were talking um, over dinner on Thursday night with the Jens. There's a movie called The Ninth Gate, Uh which is adapted from a book called The Club Dumas. And 
the book itself has almost nothing to do with the book that summons the devil. It's a B plot at best. Yeah. But that's the entire point of the Ninth Gate movie. It's adapted from a book, but it has nothing really to do with the source material it's other a than good movie. the ID, the idea. Well, and then like on the flip side of that, and it's a similar vein, it's the, uh, the Da Vinci Code movies where they're essentially one-to-one because the book is so much just a fucking mystery of just whoever needs to find this thing to find this thing. And so then they adapt the movie where now Amelie and Tom Hanks have to go find the thing to find the thing. And the movie kind of falls flat because it, it, it's so much just here's the book on screen. Um, and so that, that's what I look for is I look for something that is, is, is its own piece that understands what it is and is trying to do something with all that baggage or trying to do something with that baggage in a way, reject that baggage use it, push against it, you know, you've got to come to terms with it, but you also, it's a hard line where you got to be your own thing, but also be dependent on something. So you come from a background of criticism and specifically criticism of writing. Right. Literary criticism. Yeah. Does that affect the way you look at an adaptation? Does that affect at all what you see in the things they choose to keep, omit, play up, play down? Yeah, I mean, it depends. If I'm going into it with that attitude, of course, you know, you and Jen knows when you're when you're in that scholastic thing, you got to teach yourself as much how to turn it off as to when to turn it on because you'll very quickly ruin everything you ever see. Well, yeah, you. and I went through that for several years where I had a really hard time turning off that critical mindset, so I could not enjoy anything. Everything. Well, now it's not terrible. even just not even just people that like go to school. It's just you know it's especially with the internet now, everything can be problematic. And that was a word I only heard in colleges for a long time, um, which is a good thing, you know. Um, right. But but yeah, I think what I think of more is mediation. So what what happened from the book to the movie to get us to here? That mediation can be a director, that can be an actor's choices of playing a character, that could be how the thing is written. That could also be, though, what is the audience bringing in, knowing that this is a previous text? And how does that educate what we see on screen? And then at the same time, how much does the director, the writer, the actor think about that mediation that the audience is bringing into it and then use that mediation to further mediate their mediated um, uh, translation? Try to fit mediate in one more time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a copy of a copy of a copy. And so, but everything is. So how much... Those, those are the thoughts that I think literary criticism has taught me to think about with adaptations is, is who is telling the story and how are they telling the story and why are they telling the story this way? So with that, you, when you and I have talked about literary criticism before, you are not a big fan of dissecting authorial intent. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And I'm actually on the same page as Jesse with that one. Authorial intent is, you know, it's, it's interesting sometimes, but it's not a, primary focus for me when I'm criticizing a work, generally speaking, because authorial intent, if it's not conveyed and contained within the book or the movie, then it's uh, not going to be something that every person even can know. And so it's almost irrelevant in that case. But does it come back into importance when you look at possibly creating an adaptation? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fun tool. And I think I used to be totally against it about talking about authorial intent. But if you're building your critical toolbox, it's just another thing in there. And it's not one I rely on a lot. But 
the story does become different than when you're talking about now, like studio intent and director yeah. intent. When mm-hmm. the director intent's different from what the the first text did, and that stuff doesn't really matter unless it gets in the way. And then the question is why. So like, I can't even think of a good example, but let's say you know, and they kind of did this in the Hunger Games a little bit. If you like switched a character's race, if a character was uh, a black a black character inside of a book, and you switched it to a white character, all of a sudden it'd be like, now why did you why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Like that's an obvious choice, and why did that person make that choice? And usually the choice comes down to oh, a black actor wouldn't make as much money as a white actor would when we're selling it, and so it's a little different. I don't know if that's authorial intent as much as that's a historical intent. But that's that's when I get to the authorial issues when it comes to adaptation. Right. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, so casting decisions and uh, dictatorial <laughs> director yeah. decisions, things like that, do, uh, do factor in a lot more because there are more hands involved with a movie. Like even just how an individual actor may choose to portray a character or bring them to life, it's going to potentially be different from how the writer chose to bring that character to life in the book? Oh, like, say, for example, this is a good example. So when we talked about this before, Leah, in Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby, Mm -hmm. for some reason, even though the movie is markedly different than the book, characters are a little bit different, storyline's different, things are different, the framing device is different, which is a whole different argument that I don't like. It ruins the, the story. But he still has Tom say a Jewish slur inside the movie. And it's like, why was that the one thing you kept in, Boslerman? You know, so I think that's when I get to authorial intent. It's just when it's something that takes me out of the movie mm-hmm. or the adaptation. And I go, that's that was a choice. And why did you make that choice? Right. Especially when it's something like that that just kind of screams at you. Like, this is uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I don't think that added anything to that movie. Well, don't like Tom already. Right. And it's not anything to do with being faithful to history or the novel because they're consistently not faithful, faithful to history to or the novel yeah. any other time. And then that's why that movie works. And that's why that movie doesn't. But that, I mean, that's, we, we kicked that one out. Right. So then with those things all kind of playing through your head, how do you decide when we put two things next to each other that are basically like comparing apples and oranges take when we're going to talk about the Lord of the Rings and Pride and Prejudice how do you remove, hmm, that's not the right way to say it. How do you sort through your personal relationship with the source text in the movie to decide whether or not it's a quote unquote good adaptation? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, that goes beyond our conversation here. That goes to when you, anybody makes a value judgment about it, if a thing is good or bad. Right. And not just a thing that you go, oh, I like or you don't like. Because you don't really have to explain I like that or I don't like that. Because no one can disagree with you. Well, yeah, and, I, and this this whole this whole bracket has been, is it a good movie or is it my favorite movie? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is you just have to, you have to hope that you know better than to when you see you're arguing something because you think it's good or you're arguing something because you like it. And I yeah. think we've done a good job in this situation because it's not academic and it's not scientific and it doesn't fucking matter to go, <laughs> you know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It matters very much. It does. That's right. And uh, interview of the vampire, you know, wouldn't have even been in this bracket had you not had an attachment to it. it Cause it's a fine movie and it's a good movie and it's a popular movie, but 
you know, off the top of our heads, we could probably think of 50 other movie adaptations before we get to that one. I think Howl's Moving Castle was the same for me. I don't think anyone would have put that in their bracket normally, but I but I forced it to be there. And so I think as long as you we go, as long as I go, oh, I like that. Like I liked, I liked a lot of um, of the new Wrinkle in Time. I know it wasn't very good and didn't work very well. It's pretty confusing, but like the reasons I liked it because it had Galifianakis, Mindy Kaling, and a forty foot Oprah. Like <laughs> that's a hard one to deal with. But yeah. if I were to like write Can't... like a criticism of it, then I wouldn't. Or I might talk about that. It depends what the the reason. Well, I think so. I think we've gotten to a good segue here. So let's do a little bit of a an in memoriam. Let's let's kind of review the friends we've lost along the way. Shed some tears. So Jesse has actually prepared our 2019 so, in memoriam. Just to remind us of the friends we've we've made and lost along the way. I gotta find it though. All right, everyone, uh, listen to this. Blimey, Harry, didn't you ever wonder where your mom and dad learned it all? <laughs> You're a wizard, Harry. What? <laughs> Think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. So many sounds happening. There's no place like home. There's no I'm gonna make him an awful gamble with you. God. Track. You can't handle the truth. Nope. Never rub another man's rhubarb. You <laughs> are. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, Jesse's actually never Japanese allowed to do this again. Unagi. Isn't that a kind of sushi? This is a TV show. No, it's a concept. Yeah, it is. It is. It's freshwater eel. <laughs> But maybe it means that too. Oh, I would kill for a salmon skin roll right now. <laughs> what? Is it over now? <laughs> <laughs> Bazinga. 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 Why is it still going? Radio psychiatrist Fraser Crane died suddenly. <laughs> I'm sure I speak for all of us here at KYOL when I say he will be sorely missed. Dear God! Is it over? 
Sad. We well, lost all of those ones this year. I have you know, never I wanted to... to cry. Just leave the podcast and cry. It makes you really wonder if this podcast is all worth the body count it leaves behind it. When is the music video going to be released? <laughs> um, I had to find a Sheldon saying Bazinga compilation, and then it wasn't what I wanted, so I had to cut the compilation to make it tighter. So <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work for that. <laughs> it really was. I think it was I, worth for it, me. Though. It was just the freight. Once the Fraser stuff happened, I was fucking done. I was lost. Oh, the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it was then. But <laughs> still, it was just like it's oh, crazy to God. think that all of those quotes were from movies we we didn't vote for this year, though. Maybe next yeah. year. Maybe next year they'll win. So let's let's take a real moment for Immemorial. <laughs> <laughs> In which Jesse does not get to make a... I found a clip uh, from the, that Friends episode, the Unagi one, and it was in Spanish. Uh-huh. And I tried to use that, but I couldn't make sense of it. So I had the same scene, the full-on scene in Spanish, but thought that you couldn't hear Unagi. They translated it to something else. So mm. I'm also a little bit disappointed <laughs> that you did not include Garfield. What? Famous Garfield lines that have been recorded? Yeah. You haven't seen the Garfield movie? I have. Not recently. <laughs> not like B-movie, which he watches every weekend. So, yeah. So, yeah. I think the the biggest way to start is that Harry Potter lost first. Yeah. Huge which, right upset. Bat, we fucking murdered. We fucking murdered Harry Potter. All three of us confirmed Death Eaters. For yeah. the Hunger Games. I don't think I would. I, if I had known that this was going to last us for four fucking weeks... I don't think I would have uh, voted that one out that early. Yeah, I would have gone up against 2001 would that have lost or won against 2001. Well, we're not going to... No, I know, but just just give me a... a, a... It wouldn't have beaten it. You don't think it would have? No, I think it would have lost to 2001. Okay, well, it wouldn't have gone much I think further. Just, there's just too many inconsistencies with the adaptions, and I guess that's part of what makes a good adaption for me is I feel like there's a consistent... Um, you mean it's like a, a series, or you mean just a... yeah for for anything that has more than one film, or even if it only has one film, I want to feel like there's a consistent mood across that film. I was say even something, even something like Eat, Pray, Love, or uh, Life of Pi, feels like in all of its different parts so radically different from the last. There's no cohesion to it. Yeah. I'm a bigger Life of Pi fan than you are, but I know what you mean. So we lost Harry in the first week. We lost Harry Potter. We lost Dune. We lost Ready Player One. We lost Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We lost The Notebook, Fifty Shades of Grey, It, Eat, Pray, Love, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Les Miserables, Chronicles of Narnia, Fight Club, Jane Eyre, A Wrinkle in Time, A Fault in Our Stars, and The Polar Express. So other than Harry Potter... Any regrets from that week? Yeah, I would have liked um uh shit. Um I just lost it. 
I want Fifty Shades to go up for that. No, uh, <laughs> not really. I mean, it's weird that I mean we know that your mother was really crushed. She thought E Prey was going to go all the way. Yeah, and it, Fifty Shades. Yeah, they did not. No, I mean I think she felt it with her heart. You know, and that's the only thing we can ask. You listen to her her companion podcast. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, those I think Eat Prey was an okay adaption of it. I think Fifty Shades was an abomination of an adaption for the books. I mean, I'm well, not even a fan of the books, but in terms of adaptions, it really missed the mark for me just consistently. I really have a hard time, though, sorting through whether it missed the mark or there was no mark well. or yeah. the mark was never there. That's like Eat Prey. Yeah, it's a pretty faithful adaptation, but... At what end, you know, like... Yeah, why? Yeah, and I guess with Fifty Shades, yeah. the it really, it just comes down to the fact that it was structured very much like a fan fiction as books and as a film. And because E.L. James had such a, you know, strong grip over the production of the films, the weaknesses of the book are the weaknesses of the film. Well, and she's not, she's not a filmmaker. No, absolutely That's not. That's why... Authors don't typically adapt their movies, is because it's a different, it's a different skill set. You know? Yeah, it's a totally different structure. So then, in week two, we lost the Hunger Games, the Iron Giant, Minority Report, The Wizard of Oz, Crazy Rich Asians, Stand by Me, The Devil Wears Prada, Ghost World, Gone with the Wind, Silence of the Lambs, Gone Girl, Dracula, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And the Great Gatsby. And the Great Gatsby. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Grapes of Wrath and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Wow, there were a lot more in that week that I really, you know, I feel sad to put to rest. Like Gone Girl is very good. Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy Rich Asians, I wish could have gone further. But it was up against a side, so it was just kind of. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I still regret that one. And I do kind of wish we had, uh, now in hindsight, since the next week was To Kill a Mockingbird, I think I would have rather um, had The Great Gatsby go up against To Kill a Mockingbird. I think there's a lot of baggage that we all bring into that matchup because of having to read these books in schools. Yeah. On the other hand, it would have been become too much of things you had to read and watch in school as it went on against Pride and Prejudice. I think fantastic Mr. Fox could have gone all the way. That could have been... Pride and Prejudice. Oh, it probably could have. Um, you guys, I wish that you all had watched The Grapes of Wrath before you voted against it, but, you know, we can't live in the past. <laughs> <laughs> so then in week three, we lost 2001 A Space Odyssey. We lost Hell's Moving Castle, Twilight, The Princess Bride, The Godfather, The Shining, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Shrek. R.I.P. in peace, Shrek. Yeah. That was the smart money. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of people really pulling for Shrek. Yeah, rip in peace for sure for that one. And then last week, well, that was the those two were last. That was week the on. part. That was part one. So then in part two, we lost. Oh no, that wasn't part one. So then in week four, which had our double bracket. Yes. So in week four, we lost Blade Runner, Clueless, Brokeback Mountain, and Persepolis. Yeah. And then in the la- the second round, the Twin Peaks round, we lost West Side Story and Interview with a Vampire. Mm-hmm. Which I feel bad voting against Brokeback. I oh, because I was voting. I was voting soundtracks. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and see, that's unfortunate because 
man brokeback really you know it could make it all the way it's really good well just remember if we had gone with my original plan of how we were going to do a mass shakeup in the uh bracket uh jesse's 10 year old brother would have been choosing so brokeback was unlikely to make it out what are you talking about two cowboys become close friends and then remain friends they don't. Yep, he would have loved that. He would have loved that. Sounds like movie. a good time. He, I bet, would have loved it. <laughs> what went up against that? That was that was Leah Stan's oh, interview with the vampire yes. five ever. Hey, Jimmy, two vampires attack a child, <laughs> and then they kill the child later. Versus two cowboys are pals. Maybe they kind of love they, each other. They go fishing a lot every year, so one has a mustache later. Anyways, one gets a bit fat, and it's a little funny looking. Which one gets fat? Hall. Jack Twist. I don't even know he does. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, he, he gets a bit of a belly. Oh, he gets a dad bod. Oh, all I remember is the little mustache. The mustache was, was part of the dad bod. It looked all right on him. He looks cool. In the, everyone looks good in that movie. Oh, the old age makeup isn't great with Heath. Later, it's hard to ugly up Heath. I guess. I guess Nolan did it, but yeah, but he didn't. He didn't have to use his actual like skin. Oh yeah, because then you remember that one sequence with the Joker without makeup when they're at the parade and he just looks like Heath Ledger, but with like a little bit of shit on his face. Yeah, he's too charming. R.I.P. Never rub. Never Did you know that uh, Heath Ledger is dead, Jen? Oh yes. I actually, yeah, I was a really big fan of Heath Ledger, and I found out that he passed literally moments after it was announced because I happened to have one of those shitty like. Like a Google pop alert? News episodes. No, one of those pop news <laughs> live like TV shows on and they announced it. And I remember I actually cried. Aww. Anyways, so that brings us squarely <laughs> to the final matchup. So what do we have in store for our winners here? That's a good question. They're the the multiple things that we have ascribed to this winner. Do you remember we started off calling it the sweaty success story? Yes. And then we started calling it sweatiest movie. But it's definitely not a sweaty movie. No, we could do sweatiest sweatiest premises. That would be something else. And that would be fun. And then what else did we ascribe to this? I can't really remember, but, you know. It's going into the Hall of Fame. The Right Sweats Hall of Fame. It's the inaugural entry, right? Yep. First I thing to ever be inducted into the Right Sweats Hall of Fame. Now, I toyed around with the idea of retiring things to it that we talk about too much. But then we got out of talking about Sabrina too much. <laughs> Sabrina was really gunning for retirement there for a while. So like next month when the second season comes out, I'll rethink it. But <laughs> for right now, the winner of this will be the, the first the first entry. And that's not to say it's retired. It's getting a a, a plaque. It's... But we can never talk about it. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, what? Because I'm going to vote completely differently then. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, it'll get a, a certificate of induction. Uh huh. It will have to perform at in Cleveland with with mem- the surviving members of Steely Dan and John Bon Jovi. Ooh. Uh, Stevie Ray, not Stevie Ray Vaughan, but little Stevie will be there. I believe they're also receiving a fifteen dollars gift certificate to Dave and Buster's to DMBs. Um, assigned little Steven. Headscarf. <laughs> says, good job, movie. And it's blank right there, so we got to write that in. But that's not real. 
I think we'll be able to swing it. You think you could forge little Stevie's signature? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's already signed it. We just have to. Do you think he? When do you think the last time he took a pen and wrote something that wasn't his his like autograph? I have no idea. Like I can't imagine an excuse that little Stevie has to write anything. Like not that he like doesn't know, but like why would he need to? I I, <laughs> I, I can't tell you. I truth. <laughs> We can't tell you. So if any of our listeners are little Stevie, ask him last time he wrote anything. And then that letter will then go into the Hall of Fame. Or no, it'll go to the winner. Sorry. It'll go yeah, no, the, that goes to the winner. Into the actual Hall of Fame will be a plaque. Plaque. With um, obviously the winner's name, the year of the tournament, um, a picture of them with... Them? <laughs> but but not the movie poster, right? No, why would you put the movie poster? I didn't, I didn't think it made sense. I just wanted to. No, you you take a picture of the actual movie, <laughs> and you you put it on the f- on the what on the plaque. Oh yes, we got a laser engrave a portrait onto. <laughs> no, it's oh. <laughs> it's got a little pocket that you can put the picture. Did you not ever get a soccer plaque? <laughs> I didn't have a little pocket on the front of it with your picture. No, I never had one. Yeah, of those like ones. a little frame. Yeah, on the oh, a soccer plaque. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking this was on. Like, Jesse was never very good, so he didn't get awards. I, I was thinking it was on like the little Not pedestal even, no, of it's a the. Plaque. It goes on the wall. I know what I was. He didn't even get the participation trophy. What I was imagining was it was on. <laughs> it was really a, participate. It was a frame on the the bottom of the participation trophies that was plastic that you could slip in and out names in, which seemed extravagant. That's why I was so confused by it, but also it makes sense. Because then he can, he's take it back. The coach next year could be like. Now we did consider for a moment of creating our own Stanley Cup. I still like that idea, and I think I want to accumulate things based on who the pre, the winners are. So whoever wins this one will set the theme of what the beginning of the statue is. Oh. So you know, if it's Lord of the Rings, it's a ring or it's, you know, uh, another thing from this goddamn movie. Now, listeners, that does not mean I get a ring, which is. <laughs> um, and then what's the other movie it's going against? Pride and Prejudice, it'll, it'll, it'll be a goddamn book or something. I don't know. You'll get to dance with it? It'll be a wedding ring. So you're just getting a ring for whoever wins? You, tell me one goddamn thing from Pride and Prejudice you could give as a movie prop. A statue? Of of Kira Knightley? No, like the statues from the scene you like. What if it is... Uh, you could get a house? A fancy English manor? What if I find a matchbox car that looks like an RV referencing Donald Sutherland and The Leisure Seeker, my least favorite movie ever? I and mean, that can go on. But I'm just saying I don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, the wheels are turning. The Leisure Seeker wheels are turning. I want a burger. A burger. You see that fucking movie? Donald Sutherland's like an English professor who has Alzheimer's, and all he knows is he wants a burger. And so him and Helen Mirren drive around for him to get burgers. I hate it so much. <laughs> I walked out of the goddamn thing. Anyways, I don't know what Jesse's thinking about with this trophy. I think he's a little bit touched. But it's the movie <laughs> is for sure receiving a plaque. Jennifer, what do you think? What we should give as a trophy? Yeah, what the winner, what, what the winner gets to see it's a winner. Really nice if we wrote a congratulatory card with a handwriting and signed it, all three of us, and then added like cute stickers. 
Oh, and like send it to Peter Jackson or to um, a Pride and Prejudice guy whose name I can't remember all of a sudden. Joe, right? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Let's just send them like congratulatory cards. Or we need to make two cards. One needs to go to the movie, and one needs to go to the book. We'll send it to like New Line Cinema. Yeah. We'll mail it to Jane Austen. Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very good idea, and I think that we should probably focus on finding Lisa Frank stickers in particular. <laughs> yeah, that are. Representative of the two texts or just nice ones? Just, just absolutely, nice ones. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, we can probably find some like really cool rainbow cheetahs for Lord of the Rings, you know, stuff like that. And then for Pride and the Prejudice, we can find um, it's clearly the, the sparkle dolphin. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I agree. What is in that movie? I'm already talking myself out of it just from this. Hey, like, save it, thing. save it, save it. So, <laughs> for the last time this year, we present to you the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's fine. Same <laughs> for <Nizer> Cotton. <laughs> I should have muted that. <laughs> Listen, I'm just one person. What flavor is it, Jen? Um, is it, it brisket? Is called... <laughs> it's spring freeze. It's a menthol kind of citrusy thing going on. Now, second question. Do you do you buy your, your juices seasonally like that? Like, do you have a pumpkin spice in the fall and a spring one and no but i pretty much just only use menthol pretty much consistently because uh, everything else tastes like garbage that at least tastes like minty garbage fucking, i don't need to vape a fucking cupcake all right i just want menthol do you ever get any of the savory ones i fell down like a google hole of looking up savory savory vape juices yeah they have like tobacco and like fucking they have ones flavored like fucking tea well, who the fuck the website i was on had like bacon was like that sort of stuff. Ew. That's just about, like that's just fucking like marketing to like the douchey audience that vapes. Yeah. Well, that's a bit redundant, isn't it? <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like you know the audience is <laughs> a you know people who are who vape are douchebags. They're like, what do douchebags like? Oh yeah, fucking bacon jokes, even though they're played out, and bacon's actually not that good. Yeah. Anyways, this has been Japes Jen's vape corner. Cut that out. Nope. <laughs> We're going to get a sponsorship from Jewel. Um, if we can get a sponsorship from Sage <laughs> Nicotine Salts, <laughs> I would appreciate that. Well, we'll never get it because we're cutting that out. Nicotine salts? Like you're supposed to bathe with them? You vape the salts. Oh Want to vape it now, bitch. Is that the tagline? <laughs> Anyways, uh... so for the last time... <laughs> And now, for the last time this year, we present the Right Sweats March Mountains of Madness official theme song. Don't you hear the blues are calling? Toss salad and scramble. Scrambled eggs. You're welcome. Anyways, thanks, future. Egg all over my face. What is a boy to do? Isn't that funny that he says that? Our final... Matchup off the rails tonight, <laughs> <laughs> or as the bracket calls it, the sauna, because it you're you're it's hot sweating. and you're yes. sweating the hardest. Yes, we have Lord of the Rings versus Pride and Prejudice.
So now for the last bracket, I had to mentally just go fellowship. But I think because all the chips are on the table now, I'm going to have to mentally expand that. What are you guys, how do you guys, how are you guys thinking about this? So I'm actually thinking about, because I needed a way to to frame this so that I didn't just go Lord of the Rings wins, fuck all y'all. Like, how do we actually. It's tempting to do that. It's very tempting to do that. And I might still do it. But when I wanted to think about the bigger ramifications, I actually in my head kind of opened it up to. While I'm while I'm thinking mostly about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, I did sort of open it up to some of the other adaptations of Pride and Prejudice because I think they all somewhat inform each other. Mm-hmm. True. And I think that if you want to in any way talk about its cultural impact, you're not going to have very much of a cultural impact in one Pride and Prejudice adaptation but you will have, but it's been a constant thing since the book was written. Yeah. You know, as soon as we could make a movie of it, we were. Mm-hmm. So th- th- that's a thing that I'm considering with this final matchup. And PBS masterpiece theater that goes back to it all the damn time. A Colin, so. Colin Firth one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's gold. You know that Colin Firth might not have a career had there never been a Jane Austen. Now I'm thinking. I mean, that's like, would we ever have Kevin Kenneth Branagh without Shakespeare? Right. Uh, Jen, how are you going at this? Uh, For me, you know, I really liked both of these. Uh, And so for me, it's more just like, what do I think in terms of adaption? If I had never read the book for either of these, how did I feel about the film? And then after having read the book, how much do I feel like it kept the same voice? Yeah. We're the same mood, the same overarching kind of idea, theme, thematic. Is it is it the same sort of theme? Right. Same feeling. Yeah. I haven't read either of these books. <laughs> so I guess I have a question, and I think this is what it boils down to for me in terms of this podcast, you know, if I strip away my favorites, if I strip away, which is hard to do, but if I try to, to take away good, bad, better, any of those things, which of these pieces affected your own writing the most? Oh, you know what? And that's tricky for me because both of these are intensely influential in the sort of stuff that I like to write. Yep. Because as you know, I write fantasy pretty damn aggressively, but I also like to like really hone in specifically on like court drama, like what what is akin to basically Pride and Prejudice. Mm. Right. So for me, and I, I will get this this ball rolling pretty hard. So for me when I look at my writing and when I look at the ways I express myself creatively, as much as I would like to be fair, Pride and Prejudice has very little to do with that. It was not a story that really resonated with me when I was younger in the same way Lord of the Rings did. You know, my first cosplay was an attempt to make um, one of Elrond's sons with a friend of mine. We were going to be the twin elf boys that aren't in the movie. Spoiler alert. Oh, I'm um, trying to imagine. Yeah, <laughs> Jesse's giving me this like, like, I don't know those characters. Now, is, were his, sorry, I don't mean to derail, but were his son's son age, or were they like, as opposed to Elrond, who's with 900, they were like 400? 
Were they really like twelve? No, they were like adult elves. Oh, so like Arwen age. I was thinking like children. I don't know why. Yeah, because you were a child. Yeah. You know the the first fan fiction I started writing was Lord of the Rings. When I write the things I like to write, when I'm expanding my world for like D and D or other role playing games that I do, all of it is very much inspired by the amount a the amount of um, supplemental writing that Tolkien did for the Lord of the Rings, and then the visual way in which that was represented in those movies. Because I did not really read the movies before. <laughs> I did not really read the book before I went and saw the movie. Mm -hmm. I think I finally sat down and finished Fellowship maybe right before I saw the first movie and then tore through it. I was was late to the party. It was also in eighth grade, and that book is really hard to get through earlier than that. Now, though, I want to ask you a question then. You expanded – so you're expanding the meanings of these things a little bit. So Pride and Prejudice 2015 also means – Shadows of and echoes of the other Pride and Prejudices, which is also a shadow and echo of the book. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the movie, the movies are an adaptation of the book, which is then also echo the supplementals. How do you then talk about like The Hobbit, which you do not like them? Because that's three movies. That's a, that's as many movies as the original three Lord of the Rings. And if right. You're throwing all that in the stew, you know, you can't just take the good things and leave the bad things. What does that do for? Her? So by the time the Hobbit movies came out. I was pretty set in who I was. You know, they weren't anything that were going, they may be stuff that I don't like, but they also have no effect on me, good or bad creatively. Yeah. They don't, they just don't resonate that with me. So my opinions on them, which is that they're not good, are not because they don't move me or affect me. They don't do anything in that department. Yeah. Well, don't say you're a winner now. We're going to do it at the end. So if that's that. And, you know, Pride and Prejudice, I think for me, the Regency era, because a lot of my my creative outlet, because my creative outlet is sewing and because my historical fiction bug is really related to royalty and sort of the the soap opera of royalty, yeah. not lesser royalty. <laughs> and even lesser than lesser royalty, you know, it was wrong setting, wrong set of characters, wrong aesthetic for me to really jump on. And so not that any of it is bad and couldn't be inspiring. Well, that's something you're sort of forced into too, if you want to participate in the costume community. Isn't it a little bit, you got to go to Regency dances and. That's some like historical reenactment stuff is there. And I've had to, not had to, but I have gone to some of those things. I just don't look good in Empire Waste. I mean, you, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can go to those things and not have it be your concentration, your cosplay concentration or whatever. But right. you've more experience in that than I do. With me, the book, the books and the movies end and begin at the movies and the books. You know, minus time at school I had with Jane Austen scholars who are a prickly bunch. Um, so it's a little bit different to hear from. So Jesse, how do you break down the two? Um, so I'm going from Fellowship expanding to the other three. I'm going to not consider The Hobbit. It's a different beast. It's interesting. I want to talk about it someday, but I don't care about it right now. Pride and Prejudice, movie book. I never, I haven't read either of the books of any of these. Yeah. Um, I tried to read The Hobbit when I was a kid, and I, I was uh, afraid of the 
front cover. And when you tried to read it as an adult? I just couldn't, especially not with that cover. But then again, I kind of have to only read that cover because i got to overcome that. And because that's the cover I own. And what's my life if not me avoiding fears that were made when I was precognizant, you know? <laughs> so with that in mind, probably never read The Hobbit, so I'm not really going to. Um, I think truly I'm just going to go down to better movie then because I, I, I haven't read the the two. If we're going to talk about what has affected my writing most, then that's the thing where then I'm going to go. I don't do a lot of fantasy. I don't do a lot of sci-fi. I don't do a lot of swords and swords and thrones, whatever you call that. Sword and sorcery. Yeah, that sort of genre. I don't read much of it. Don't really experience any of it. That's not something like Lord of the Rings. That's so big you can't avoid it. <laughs> um, so then, when I think about things from that perspective, there's a lot more in. Pride and Prejudice that has become things that I'm more interested in reading and writing. So maybe not Jane Austen, which I who I do like, who I've not read much of. I realize that she's a funny British actor uh, writer, which is a, something that I like. You know, there's a direct line from the sort of comedies of manners that she has to the farcical comedies of the aristocracy that P.G. Wodehouse has done, which then leads you know straight to the Marx Brothers, which leads straight to you know just comedies just in general secondly just the domestics of it all is a lot more interesting to me too maybe not the era maybe not the sort of stuffy rules of the society but just it being a story where it's four people who just gotta talk in different rooms for the next 400 pages Mm -hmm. something i respond to pretty well thing i like in a movie um i think other movies have done it better or worse but this is still a way to do it like if i'm you know, there's a direct line between this and, like, Angley's The Ice Storm, where it's just... Not just because he also adapted a Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, that's kind of what I'm conflating, too. But that movie's also just, like, six sad adults talking in two houses. Um, and you can definitely see the line from Jane Austen to something like that, even though it may be not, not too uh, obvious. But still, not a lot of set pieces, not a lot of action in, a, like, an actual, like, physically action way. Um, and so in that sense, Pride and Prejudice has really uh, entertained my, not entertained, but educated my writing more than anything else that was in Lord of the Rings. So Jen, what are your expanded thoughts? Well, for me, I think that, you know, they both have been very influential for me in terms of writing, in terms of like creativity. I have my issues with both of them. Like you were talking about being really drawn to royalty. I actually have a distaste for it, uh, even though I like love Game of Thrones and they literally have a a war or a battle called the War of like Five Kings, <clears throat> stuff like that, where it's literally five kings battling. Five kings enter, one king leaves. <laughs> five kings enter, Daenerys fucking wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean they literally have just royal royalty banter. They're fighting over a throne. I think we'll we'll have to put our it, but... next week we'll have to put our Game of Thrones bets on record before the the new season starts. Oh yeah, we can do yeah, that. We will have to do, we'll do that. that next week. So. I mean, even though I do love those stories, I'm really drawn to what, like, the average person would deal with. But that said, Pride and Prejudice isn't even average. It's not royalty, but it's not like they're the maids in a room. They're the people with maids. So they're still elevated. Yeah, it's still the upstairs of Downton Abbey. Yep, it is. And the the downstairs is very much in the shadows. Um, So for me, it's still kind of, like, 
a little bit beyond what I like to focus on. I, I like focusing on the downstairs people more in stories. But that said, both have still been really influential. So it's a tough one for me when I think about it from that context. So I just have to come back to like thematics for me in order to make a decision between these two. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like Pride and Prejudice, especially the 2005 one, was very transformative in terms of how it adapted the the book. No, do you mean also for think, you or do you, do you mean in a, a broader way? Oh, in a broader way. I think that it, it, it changed the tone a little bit and purposefully, you know, I guess tried to make things more serial or beautiful, not in an extreme way, but more so than the book. Mm-hmm. The book could be a bit dry at times and I think it was intentionally so. Whereas like Lord of the Rings, I felt, well, I don't know. It also. I was going to say, I I think Lord of the Rings in a lot of ways was incredibly transformative. I think it set a standard that fantasy, high fantasy as a movie could be beautiful and well-crafted and as artistically relevant as it was culturally relevant. Yeah, that's very Jesse true. Jesse's looking at me right. like you're a fucking nerd. <laughs> no, I agree with you. But I think I think what Lord of the Rings did would have happened anyways because the Matrix did it first. I think I think the Matrix paved the way for Lord of the Rings. I think a lot of things paved the way for Lord of the Rings. We talked a lot about Blade Runner. Blade Runner paved the way for for all of it in so many yeah. ways. And the uh you know, historical dramas of the 60s and 50s, you know, Ben-Hur and Ten Commandments, those things did epic on a very epic. serious scale as well. Yeah, because before this, what what is other epic sci-fi fantasy? Really, that, that stuff didn't really get epicized too much. There was Dune, which that's arguable. And, I mean, there's there, Star existed. Wars, I guess, is the only one. Star Wars is... Star Wars is actually massive and should not have been forgotten. So yeah, there are quite yeah, a- well. And there's a lot of stuff that was for kids when you take something yeah, like the Never yes. Ending Story, Lord of the Rings. I mean that mm-hmm. that cartoon, even though it's really not you know childish, you kind of stop watching it once you turn a certain age. Yeah, so I think it really did you know pave the way for that big fantasy boom and sci-fi boom that we're still living in. I mean that's that's what makes so I guess it so tough because we're talking about sci-fi fantasy boom but then also before that there was the melodrama rom-com you know that used to be a thing that most you know there was there was ladies books and there was everything else technically or not technically but and then a lot of that came from jane austen you know i know she didn't write like pulpy ladies books but you know it's it's they were they were profiled that yeah, way at the yeah. time. I mean, yeah. this, and they're still profiled that way even yeah, though that's yeah. not what they are i mean you go bronte you go that to Austin to, you know, Little Women to, you know, it, it, this line is not too too confusing. Right. But what did the 2005 Pride and Prejudice do for that? Yeah. I mean, it. Well, what I was going to say is for me, it's almost kind of like Pride and Prejudice kind of exists in this weird mm, cultural space where people kind of invent what it is. I don't know how to describe what I'm saying. Every generation has well, a Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. It's just something almost kind of like it's like a it's almost like it is fantasy to people because it's historical and so it's like this sort of period drama has its own you know these trappings and tropes that become very familiar that you expect when you go to see something like that so it becomes its own thing that 
I don't know, and when it becomes like an icon for a period piece, which Pride and Prejudice very yeah. much is, whether it's the 2005 adaption or the previous ones, like it's, it is a standard for period drama. Yeah, well. Lord of the Rings is also, uh, so w- when something can become a standard, that's that's impressive, but it also means that it might be limited in some ways by what people expect going into the theater. And I think Pride and Prejudice was constricted more by that than Lord of the Rings yeah. was. Well, Pride and Prejudice so it kind had of those does... constrictions placed on it before it was yeah, made it's just, released, it's, whereas Lord it's, yeah. of the Rings yeah. created the precedent with, against which everything yeah. else is judged right now. And so it has, I guess it has a good different feel to me because of that when I think about how it is constrained in some ways by audience expectation. But do you think that it did enough as opposed to something like a Clueless or West Side Story, which we've also talked about, which took that conventional story and didn't adapt it as a one-for-one thing and sort of shook it up? I don't know if it shook it up that much. It kind of just made the the look and feel of it more modern, but it didn't really shake up the narrative. Right. And I think in a, in a way that was making new. it look more modern while staying true, I think, is a very hard line to walk. Yeah. Yeah, how many? Yes, I mean, and we got rid of a lot of Shakespeare's, but you know, how many Shakespeare adaptations try to, not even just film ones, but stage ones or whatever that try to try to modern it up a little bit, it just falls apart. Oh, you mean like if you were to take yeah. a Midsummer Night's Dream and set it in New Orleans? I have a worse Mardi one Gras? for you. I have a worse one for you. When I was in high school, I went to Arcata High, Jen's alma mater, to see them do Mary Wives of Windsor. And instead of having it wherever that one set, Windsor, I assume, it was set on Gilligan's Island. Nothing else was different. <laughs> what? Yeah, nothing else was different. Just the characters were all Gilligan's Island characters. Which and one was... was... I, don't, I don't know the play well enough. It, oh, may okay. have been, it may have been Taming of the Shrew, which would have been a very strange choice to make. There's only two uh, women. Yeah. There's only two women on Gilligan's Island. Yeah. They must have had to have changed well, them. It's Jen's school. Jen was in it. Jen played Marianne, right? I went to that school for one semester. And I got to tell you, that school is probably one of the worst schools I've ever seen in my life. That's straight up. I know that everyone says schools look like a like jail. That one straight up looks like a weird prison. Like it looks like. It was designed by a person who did design prisons. It literally is a fucking But it prison. looks like a supermax. Like it looks like. To be fair, that's what you have it, to keep kids in Arcata in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was genuinely, like, the most depressing. They didn't even have a cafeteria, and I was just like, Jesus. Wow. You don't even have a place for your kids to eat? What the f***? In a, in a town, too, where every municipal building is, like, pretty nice. Yeah. You know? Or it's, like, an old Victorian building or something like that. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, and, and that's... You know, or a 10 Things I Hate About You, where it, you know, it, it does do something different with the narrative. She's the man. That would have been on my list. We should, yeah. I should have pushed for that one. So are we going to announce the winner at the same time? Like I think we should style? count backwards from three. Are we all ready? Do we have any oh, final I'm, thoughts? Oh, I'm ready. Jennifer? Yeah. I'm ready. Wait, wait. Should we say the name of the movie or should we say our favorite line from the movie? <laughs> do uh, the movie. I, I can't think of a single line. line. <laughs> okay. I was, oh, we can do a secret ballot, but then Jen would have to tell us what she voted. So, we're going to use the uh, Arrested Development rules for secret ballots. Yeah. We're going to do three 
Wait, how are we going to do this? Can we just say it on say three, it two, one, after go? one. Okay. So, three no's, one like that. What? You know, three, how does it go? You go three, two, one, no's. Just say one, and then after one, we'll say it. Well, I'll do it together, right? Okay. Let's start All counting. Right, should we count down to the countdown? Yep. All right. Three, three two, two, one, one. Go. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. No! What the fuck? What? Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Wow, unanimously. <laughs> wow. You're the best around. The one we thought would win won. <laughs> the obvious winner won. I will say I have criticisms of the adaption. I have criticisms of the original text, things like that. But in, in terms of adaption. How faithful is it? It's um to what it shows, it's fairly faithful. It omits a lot. Okay. Yeah. Emits a and lot, it a lot. Because that book, I'm gonna tell you, those books uh-huh. those books are so long and have so much so much detail yeah. i have a version of lord of the rings that is essentially a giant bible and includes all three parts oh, or, yeah. and it's from costco and literally the paper is as thin as a bible as oh, bible paper one. you know so that it can include all of it yeah it, it's just it's a monster and i used I'll, to have that i don't judge anyone to a friend. Yeah. are the books is but so the, does the book have the humor of the movie not at all it does opinion. but it's very it's it's it feel, relegated the, to yeah. the hobbits. It's not at all shared by any of the other. When you when you characters. when you watch like any other like Peter Jackson non, non Lord of the Rings movie too, it's got the same jokes essentially. Like oh, yeah. Brain Dead essentially has the same jokes through it. <laughs> I also have a, a critical question for you, yes. Leah. Do you remember in the in the books? Okay. Was there that iconic scene where Legolas and Gimli turn to each other and he says, I never thought I'd fight along an elf. And then he says, what about, you know, beside a friend? Then they kiss. No, I don't think that happens in the book. Because for me, that was like an emotional scene. And I just remember in the book, I never really felt like the emotional movement that I felt in the movies. And I felt that so, the, the movie did that. I mean, so my my issue with the movie is it almost feels kind of, cold and septic to me sometimes so it's it's warmer than the books yeah it does so what yeah. is and for me oh my gosh i want to shake you instead of it being that obvious of a moment in the books they sing a song about sailing to heaven together oh. and it's, wait seriously yes. <laughs> i will admit touching. i will easily i will easily admit and without any shame there were a lot of paragraphs and pages that I had to skip <laughs> out of fucking aggressive boredom. I haven't because read it. I love, I actually think he's a very strong writer, but he just is one of those people that likes to describe, you know, the length and shape of a blade of grass. And so you get a little bit like, okay. Like, so I think one of the strongest parts of the book that is left out of the movie, except for they do one in the, um, the extended edition of Fellowship, but there is a lot of singing in the book. And Tolkien writes a there, Tolkien writes a lot of poetry as this singing, mm-hmm. and it does create a different feeling in the yeah. air. So it doesn't have to be you know a tender moment with swelling music because they're singing their emotions, either yeah. a folk song or yeah, something actually- they've come up with. They they very much like a musical, but not as frequent as a musical. Well, it's just weird because. Well, the book does, the movie does do that, but it's it's for sad reasons. You know, it's uh, uh, Pippin or whoever, the uh, 
the Hobbit guy has to sing for that dude when he's eating watermelon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, my God. That <laughs> fucks me up. Jackson doesn't strike me as a guy that kind of likes music. I don't think he doesn't not like music, but I think his nerderies go different ways. Well, and one tr- of them is not. They well, tried to do I the big one in the beginning of the... Um, the beginning of The Hobbit. But there's two songs that happen in the very beginning of The Hobbit. There's the one where they talk about, you know, or the Misty Mountains Cold. Well, did they do that in the movie? Yeah, they did that one. But they didn't do the fun one, which is where they're um, pretending to destroy all of Bilbo's plates as they're putting them out for dinner. Oh, there's enough fun gnome stuff in that movie, though. But I think, But I think that where a lot of people think that the Lord of the Rings is cold and the Hobbit is cold. It's because we don't train people to read poetry in a way that is emotive. Well, I think that that's part of it, but I also think it's also partly that it is a little bit colder and that's actually something that is said about a lot of fantasy novels and is a, a widespread issue, especially I think people who are fans of Tolkien maybe don't, interpret or read the emotion correctly and if they're if he's the inspiration or if he's the standard it's become like a widespread thing throughout the game of telephone not a lot of, yeah yeah and it's there's not a lot of emotion and so that's actually something that's kind of an older issue like newer fantasy novels even some older ones i guess i should say but you aren't afflicted by this but it's just something that's like well, it's, it's, it's just a genre conceit and it's a thing that i don't love so i don't really love the genre and that's fine i don't have to you know and so wait and you guys don't have to change are you it. telling me that you don't feel an emotional connection between sam and frodo in the books that i did well, that's the that one I that's did. in the movie that was that's like the the core and like, but that is so so strong in the books. I don't think that the movie puts anything in there that wasn't already in there. And the movie you, it really leans on on uh, on those two actors too to do a lot of that work. Well, which is also what they do with yeah, uh, it's, it's with Vigo. He does a lot of that work. Yeah. I guess I guess I'm more thinking of like uh, pretty much pretty much everyone else. I guess. Uh, I mean, there are like internal dramas that you can feel. Yeah. Uh, like Aragorn's like internal struggle is very real. A little bit's being a little nitpicky too because the movie does work so well. So if I had to say something, right. it's that it's a little cold sometimes, which even it being cold, it's still warmer than a lot of movies that are supposed to be emotional. Right. You know, it's it, it does hit a lot of beats in a movie that's substantially about um, swords and, and wizards. You know, there's no reason for it to ever be emotional and right. it does work in places. And it works a lot and mostly works. Uh, yeah. Well, and if you're doing, you know, swords and sorcery well, it should be very emotional because it should be exploring how that would affect people emotionally. For yeah. me, that's how I was going to say, we it. haven't thrown out the hero's journey as a narrative structure because it really should be resonating with people. I love it. I mean, there's a reason why the hero's, the hero's journey exists. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think there are a lot of a lot of stories that misuse that and don't hit on those chords in our hearts that, you know, it's meant to pluck on. And I think to this movie and this book's um, credit, it came up in a time in American culture when we all wanted the anti-hero. There's no goddamn anti-heroes in the story. Except for maybe like Aragorn. And he's not really an anti-hero. He's almost like a Han Solo, if anything. Yeah, he's a good guy, but outside of uh, 
like outside of society. He's not a, a neutral guy. Yeah, and and to this this the the book and the movie's testament, it has these things that we should be tired of that we're not, and it doesn't do it in a novel way. It almost does it in like the definitive way, and it works, and it's great, and that's almost what makes it better, and it's what's going to make it good in 10 years and what's what made it good 10 years ago oh it is full-on gonna be a thing that i sit my children down and say all right kids now as a oh, family yeah, you we're do gonna Star watch Wars this. first then you do lord of the rings when they're in the next age bracket a little bit because it can be a little scary and, and yeah. then you get on to the the uh indiana jones yeah but then you also get to then i get to show them uh episodes seven eight nine well i don't know about nine but so we're all not on board for the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV show, are we? Um, I'm hesitant. What is it? I don't... I'm on board 1,000%. I don't care if it's trash or not. I'm just excited to have something that I will want to watch. I'm excited <laughs> to see another adaptation of Lord of the Rings. What's it based on? Uh, that's a good question. Is it? Because I, I heard at one point it was going to be the Silmarillion, but then I keep hearing conflicted things. Let me see. Amazon. Oh, I also don't care. Amazon, if you're listening, Jeff Bezos, I don't care. Stop it. You're never going to be the leader of TV. It doesn't matter how much money you throw into it. Relax, guys. Cold War was good. Keep just distributing good movies. Okay. Amazon revealed the series will be set in the 3,441-year period before the events of Fellowship of the Ring. And this is the age of Numenor, the second age. I'm down. What's What's that mean? Things that did not happen in the book, in the Lord in the book, the Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. So it's based on nothing. No, it's based on things that were um, discussed in the Silmarillion and the other subsequent unfinished works that have then been published. Now that's going to be the question of mediation. You know, who takes these nuggets of ideas? Who do you trust then to translate that? Well, and I think a really important thing to note. Okay, so an important thing. Um, to note is that there's not really like a narrative structure that they're immediately adapting. Like they're going to create a narrative structure out of bits and pieces, which I know that could be really amazing. It could be, but it could go really bad as well. It's not so a tested thing, narrative. So I'm, I'm down for it. I'm excited to see it. The thing that I don't want is there are a few, not many, but there are a few characters from the Lord of the Rings that are actually around in that time. Mm-hmm. And what I don't want to see Oh, is some solo bullshit. Right. Where we try to shoehorn Galadriel into everything. Because she is there and she is doing things. And you don't want to be like, look, this person yeah. you recognize. Hey. Or like, like a really old like <laughs> ent or something. It was like, one day I'll yeah. lord over your rings. and you know, some... But I do think there's a really fun, complex family tree, especially with the human kings and the dwarves, that if you very carefully place these people in it uh-huh. without going and you'll know him because 16 generations later he's Aragorn's you know yeah. as long as you don't do that thing and you just sort of let the character on its own be exciting and important and interesting and then for the people that want to do more research <laughs> There is that little nugget that ties it into yeah. the Lord of the Rings narrative. I think that is sort of the sweet spot. And I think that's Hopefully. what... What I'm afraid of is... and Because the reason that their Amazon is doing this is because they want to have their own Game of Thrones. Every, everybody is scrambling to have Everyone their own Game, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. So what's going to happen when this thing comes out and there's those nuggets of Lord of the Rings in it. There's that foundation of Jackson's Lord of the Rings. 
but it's full of titties and blood because it's going to be that way because they want it to be Lord of the Rings. Oh, there's a, Game of Thrones. there's a place for blood. There's just, you there's going to be sex in it. There's going to be nudity. I know. There's there's place for nudity and sex as well. I just hope that it's not like for shock value to be like, look, we're just the same as Game of Thrones because we showed a brothel. You know, like I really don't want that. I'm down for a gritty Lord of the Rings. I just don't want it to be. I guess what people need to recognize about why Game of Thrones was successful was I'm part of it is just the story is good and it felt real and it was gritty, but also it was something fresh and new. And so going back to something that's not new, you know, Lord of the Rings is not new. That world is not new. So if you're going to try and do it with that, it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it will succeed. I'm not, I don't know if it will or I not. I don't know if that changes because, because Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones, Gift of Lord of the Rings is like muddy physically, but like there's, there's a, there's a genuine wholesomeness to it. Right. Um, where maybe a, you know, a, I don't know, a, the Game of Thronesing of it might doesn't have a genuine wholesomeness. Yeah, if that's forced on top of it, then right. Well, I wouldn't mind seeing something a little more like Vikings. I'm a big fan of the TV show Vikings, um, and that is based somewhat in the saga, saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, but very little about what happens in the show is historically accurate, including the costuming, mm-hmm. but it ties these Viking legends together in a way that makes an interesting narrative. Yeah. And I think if it goes about that route, we'll be fine. Well, and then Vikings is sanitized when it comes to America, right? It's yes. dirtier in other countries. Yes. So yeah, maybe, maybe they'll learn that, but Amazon's not going to be any cleaner. Than- but who knows? Yeah. I mean, if it, if it truly actually happens, I would be, pretty surprised because the paycheck on it is like enormous. Like they've already announced how much it's going to cost them to do. And it's, it'll be by far the most expensive TV show ever or something like that. So. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Well then I fucking pray to God that they are not just putting that money into pretty CGI and they're putting a lot of that money into solid proven amazing writers. Anyways, there it is. Lord of the Rings, the once and future King. Who's the return of the king? You know what? To be fair, every time I look at the bracket and every time I think, should Lord of the Rings? You know what? If it's not this year, it's next year. We got to get out of the way early. Just one of those. It's and I don't feel bad about it. I was gonna say I don't feel bad about it. There's, uh, there's, it is a great pick. If you want an underdog, this is not going to be the one underdog that's going to take over. Yeah. So now that will ascend up to the Hall of Fame. Mm Hmm. Be a little. Pretty lonely up in there, but I'm sure we'll find some reason to put something else in there soon. No, Sabrina. we don't want to retire Sabrina. Sabrina yet. There's so much more to talk about. So when so when everyone hears Get this out. episode, because it'll probably be posted Tuesday night or Wednesday, we will all be en route to the motherland. Not my motherland, but their motherland. Um, and we will be doing some recordings from Humboldt County. Coming yep. at you in April. We'll be together. It'll be three of us in a room, finally. In a car? In a room? Car, room. In a city? A town. Well, we'll be in San Francisco first. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a couple hours inside of cities. Yeah, so that should be fun. That's what to look forward to next month. And a return to writing. Return to writing, yes. And next month is what? National, National Poetry Month. April correct? is National Poetry Month. So we talked a little bit about that. We can... Write some, which is always feels a little too naked, you know, maybe. But 
I know Jen and I probably have caches of terrible poetry we can rehash. Um, oh, definitely. And then it's Camp Nano next month as well. Yeah. So maybe we'll do a little bit of thing with that. I don't don't quite know yet. Um, but more to come. More to Kai. Kai will not be Final coming. Thoughts. Thank you, Jen. Electric as always. <laughs> <laughs> so remember to uh, listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, mm-hmm. SoundCloud. Um, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and then look at our website, which is what? The Right Sweats? It's just rightsweats.com. Rightsweats.com. Just rightsweats.com. Um, and then see how you did on your bracket. Tell us on Facebook. Tell us on Twitter. Uh, if you want us to sign your name on our card, we'll be sending Peter Jackson. Tell us, and we can just scrawl it in there. We'll have to scrawl in Lord of the Rings on little Steven's bandana. Um, if anybody knows little Steven, ask him if he's written anything. That's not his name. Not his name. I assume if you ask him that, he'll shake you really hard. But that's not my fault. That's up to you guys. So until then... The world has changed. I feel it. What? It's like beginning of Lord of the Rings. Uh, Whatever. Uh, Craig, get us out of here. Bye. Jen, say bye. Don't be rude. <laughs> bye.